Welcome to the NABA COP27 podcast, a series of conversations around the UN Climate Change Summit in Egypt in November, looking at key issues shaping Africa's climate challenge. I'm your host, Lamria Kinola, and this week I'm speaking with Bertrand Picard, a Swiss explorer, psychiatrist, and clean technology pioneer who's the chairman of the Solar Impulse Foundation, dedicated to promoting environmentally sustainable and economically profitable solutions to climate change. We discuss how technology, together with a change in mindset and approach, can drive climate action globally and in Africa. Bertrand, thank you so much for making the time and joining the podcast. It's a real pleasure to have you with us. Pleasure to participate. It's for the good cause. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and that is what your work is all about, uh, Bertrand. For those, of, for, for those people listening who are not familiar with your work, uh, give us a little bit of background, a bit of context, and uh, especially, particularly why climate change is so important to you. I'm an explorer and I'm a medical doctor, a psychiatrist, which means that I'm very much involved in trying to improve quality of life of people. And I'm really frustrated to see what happens today with climate change, with pollution. We're just getting crazy in this world. We have all the solutions to work well with nature, all the solutions to have good health, good education, good quality of life. And in the world, it is not what we see. So what I want to explore is other ways to think other ways to do, change the narrative, bring solutions. And one very, very important experience that I made for myself was when I was flying around the world in a solar-powered airplane. I had no fuel. The plane was making no noise and no pollution. And that made me really think that we can achieve fantastic things today with the new technologies, but the world still lives in the past. The normal world is in the past and we don't notice it. It's like the fish that is in the water and doesn't know he's wet. We are in the world of the past with old systems, old technologies, all type of engines, all type of industrial processes or sources of energy. And we pollute like hell and we waste resources and we waste money. And what we really need to do today is to bring the world from the past to the present. And that would allow to fight climate change, to fight pollution, but at the same time to develop the economy and to create new jobs in all these new businesses. Thank you, Bertrand. You've put you've put a lot of issues out there that we want to uh, delve a little bit deeper into. Let's start with the the problem of the approach, because I, I would I would add to what you've just said that there's also an old mindset in how the, the, the challenge of climate change is being addressed. And when it comes to Africa specifically, which is the, the part of the world that we're focusing on, there's a very familiar narrative, uh, the narrative of victimhood, the narrative that uh, the continent doesn't have the technology, it doesn't have the resources, it doesn't have the capacity to do anything about climate change. What's, what's your take on that? And you, you must come across this a lot. How do you respond to this kind of thinking? And especially in Africa, do you, do you see Africa as a victim when it comes to climate change? Everybody, every country, every continent has been a victim in a moment of its history. And this is the past. Now what we have to see is the present. 
in the present, Africa has maybe the largest resources in the world. It is potentially the country that has the most uh, opportunities. The, 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 what we see is amazing. The rest of the world will love to have all the resources of Africa. So now what we need to do is to help Africa to get use of these resources. And it is true that there are some handicaps in the present, not in the past. Uh, some countries have a bad governance. Some countries have a lot of corruption, which means that it is uh, it makes a lot of reluctancy and resistance for investors to invest in these countries. But what we need to do is to go with them, to accompany them, to help them to develop. And what we see is that there are a lot of ways to do it. But of course, we have to change the narrative that is saying that uh, fighting climate change is expensive, that fighting climate change is a burden for economical development, and that poor countries cannot do it. No, it's exactly the opposite. If you fight climate change today with the new technologies, with the new systems available, you can develop your country much better, save resources, and put new infrastructures and take new business opportunities. Absolutely. And in some way, you could argue that uh, regions like Africa have a bit of an advantage because in, in industrial countries, developed countries, uh, depending on how you phrase it, you have a lot of legacy infrastructure. So part of the challenge is how do you effectively rebuild the economy? Whereas in, in Africa, in, in many ways, you, you kind of have a, a bit of a clean slate. Would you see, say that that's a bit of an advantage potentially? 100%. It, it, it's exactly this. You have no incumbents. You can start from scratch. Uh, there is this famous uh, example that everybody knows that in Africa there was no telephone and they could go from nothing to the uh, smartphone without going through the stage of the telephonic cables. And this is exactly what we can do with energy. You know, absolutely. In when you look at energy, the 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 majority of the countries in Africa are getting poorer and poorer every year because they have to use foreign currencies, that means dollars, to buy oil, gas, or coal. It means that for their commercial balance, it's a disaster. Even today, in the French newspaper, it was saying that Ghana has no more dollars and they want to, to buy oil with gold. Yes. It shows that there are resources, but the system is not adapted to it. Imagine that instead of building centralized, big coal or gas or oil power plants to make electricity, distributing this electricity around with big cables, and of course, not reaching the periphery, not reaching everybody, you would do the opposite. You would make decentralized, renewable energy power plants with solar, with biomass, with hydroelectricity in small rivers, with some geothermia, with wind where it's suitable. And then what happens? With a few solar panels, batteries, irrigation pumps, and electric plugs in a village that never had any electricity, you create an ecosystem with an economical development, and you do it without emissions of CO2. And this is something where the green funds, the, 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 the investors in a lot of development banks, are ready to do it. You, we just need to create this, this uh, relation of trust, of confidence, 
where we can make an alliance that reconciles economical development and protection of the environment. There, there is growing awareness of, well, well, let me put it this way. Part of the challenge of Africa is that we, we know that historically it has contributed almost nothing to global emissions, but the impact of climate change is particularly severe on, on the continent. Um, and but, but instead of embracing what you are articulating, which is, you know, it's quite a compelling vision, some might say, ah, oh, this is unrealistic. And uh, uh, some governments in, in Africa are saying, no, no, we, we, we can't start thinking about having, uh, you know, renewable energy and, you know, it, it deploying cutting edge technology. No, no, we need to pump more gas. We need to pump more oil. What do you think about that? That's seems to me to be going in the wrong direction here. I love to hear that something is unrealistic <laughs> because I heard it so much. <laughs> my family heard it so much. When my grandfather wanted to go in the stratosphere with a pressurized cabin to develop the modern aviation, it was, he was told it was impossible. When my father went to the Marina Trench, the deepest spot on earth, people said it was impossible and they did it. When I wanted to fly nonstop around the world in a balloon, people told me I was dreaming. It was impossible. And I did it. And for solar impulse, I even had the scientific proof that we couldn't do it. I had a, a, a diagram, a graph, where it showed that if an airplane was small, it had to be light. If the airplane was big, it had to be heavy. And my airplane had to be big and light. So it was outside <laughs> the curve. You know, it was outside the curve. And that was the scientific proof that what I have done was impossible. <laughs> so now we have to, you know, we have to change the paradigms. We have to stop saying it's unrealistic. We just have to put the solutions on the table. And it is not high-tech, uh, futuristic infrastructures or technologies. It is common sense. Sometimes it's even low-tech. This is yeah, what, yeah. what we need to do. I, I give you an example. There is so many starvation and malnutrition in Africa. And part of it is because the harvests are lost after the production because of the moisture, the, the, bag, the bad conservation uh, capacity. Well, there is a solution we have identified that is a, a solar dryer. It's not expensive. It is just something where you put the harvest, all the cereals, uh, all the crops, and it is dried just with the solar energy, which means that you can keep it for longer. You can sell it progressively. You don't need to sell all of it at once. You can improve the income of the farmer. And, and this is purely something that works with nature. You use the sun, but you use it in a clever way. And everything is like this. You can have some seeds that are mixed with a molecule that helps to keep the moisture, to keep the the, the, the water. So you need less irrigation and less fertilizers. This is something that improves massively the, the efficiency of the production. But of course, it needs to be known. It needs to be introduced, to be used by everybody. And this is the big work we have to do. It's, it's a lot about communication. It's a lot about um, information, education. And of course, uh, support the countries who have the chance to be today at a high level of development have the responsibility of helping the others to do better. 
you you've you've kind of answered the next question I was going to going to throw at you, which is the the how, right? It's because uh, uh, on the Solar Impulse Foundation website, there are now 1,480 different solutions. A lot of them yes. for business, for individuals, for NGOs, and for public authorities. So the and we all know that technology has mo- has advanced uh, a lot in recent years, uh, especially when it comes to renewable energy. So the the big question is, well, why are we not seeing more widespread adoption? And you've already touched on that. In an African context, what would you say has to happen, has to come together for solutions to not just be deployed, but, you know, crucially to be deployed at scale? Because we, it's not enough to have examples here, examples there, right? It has to be, there has to be some systemic change nice. um, at, a, at a high level. Like what needs to come together here? You've already, you've just pointed out that there's a need to just raise awareness. A lot of it is about communication. What else would you put on that list? We have identified all these solutions around the world in an open source manner. We are a non-for-profit foundation. So all these all this knowledge is available to everyone. But people don't know about it. At the COP27, where I, where I spent two weeks, I went with a guide of solutions for cities, especially for cities. And I went to a lot of energy and environmental ministers. And these people were looking at the guide of solutions and saying, but we have no knowledge about it. We did not know about these solutions. Where did you find them? And it's absolutely incredible to see that in the world where we believe that we know everything, there are so yes. important things that we don't know. So I really encourage everybody just to go on our website, solarimpulse.com, and go on the Solution Explorer on the homepage and just look for the solutions you need because they're all here. They're all here. And you just need to to, to take them. Some of them can be adapted very easily. Some others, of course, need to have an industrial uh, uh, relation or, or an investment. But what I want to say is that they are all economically profitable. It means that sometimes, of course, you need to invest in them. You need to put money in it, but it's not a cost. It's an investment. You don't lose the money. You will recover enough, even more money. So this is something that should really create a, a, a big interest around these solutions. And nevertheless, I'm so frustrated to see that they are not used, although they are here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the, you, you've, you've mentioned investment. And this is, of course, key. You, One of the issues which you've identified is that there's some reluctance internationally when it comes to investing in uh, climate climate action or climate-friendly solutions in Africa. With the with the global economy now going into a period of let's say uncertainty, there's lots of bad news about the global economy. Let's talk about recession. Uh, talk about things getting worse. Do you think that this poses a threat to um, getting more awareness out there, but also driving climate action that people might actually retreat even further? from the idea of thinking differently, trying new things, because there's this anxiety of, oh, you know, things are, things are getting worse. You, you know what is the definition of being smart, being clever? It is when we manage to take very different facts, very different observations, and to understand the link between them. 
And today, the problem is that there are a lot of stupid people who don't see the link between all the things. For example, we, we leave Africa uh, drifting away, uh, going into poverty, malnutrition, and so on. And then Europe doesn't understand why there is so much immigration that comes to Europe. But the link is obvious. We need to help these people to develop. It is a question of, it's, it's not only, I would say, a, a moral issue to help the poorest people. It's also a security issue. Uh, you, you, we need to introduce relations that are based on respect, that are based on an equal potential, that are based on uh, opportunities of development. And there is another thing also. We need to see the link now between fighting climate change and the different crises that we are observing. We cannot solve the energy crisis without understanding the climate crisis. Because at the end, both have the same origin. We use too much fossil energy. This is also why we have a, an energy crisis today. We use too much, we are far too dependent on the import of polluting energies. Today, if we invest in renewable energies, we solve the climate issue, but we solve the economical issue because people have to know, and I think they, they don't know that, the renewable energies today have become cheaper than oil, gas, and coal. The cheapest source of energy in the world today is photovoltaic in Portugal with a kilowatt hour of electricity at 1.5 cents. 1.5 cents, almost nothing. And this is Portugal. It is not even the tropical Africa where you have even more sun when the sun is right above you, where you yes. can have so much more uh, efficiency with, with renewables. You have biomass. Biomass is a way to use the waste, to use the methane coming from the landfills, from the agriculture, from the farms, turn, turning it into gas that you can use as a source of energy. It can be potentially 20% of the needs of the world in terms of energy. All this is here. It makes us independent from oil, gas, and coal, and it makes us carbon neutral. So you see that we need to be clever we need to put all the dots together and see the new picture, the new narrative that we can get out of it. I, I really like the message. I, I totally uh, agree with you on that. You, you've just touched on an important dynamic, I think, uh, around the relationship between developed economies and e emerging re regions of the world like Africa. And you said it's not just a moral issue, but that there is a need to sort of partner on the basis of mutual interest and also respect. And turning to COP27, a lot of the focus there was on the relationship between developed and developing economies. And a lot of the narrative was around, you owe us, you know, you have a moral responsibility towards us. How do you feel about the, the, the discussion at COP27 was much achieved to move things in the right direction and to create the kind of framework where, you know, you have these two parts of the world coming together in a meaningful way. We all know that there was a, an agreement struck on a loss and damage fund. Uh, but I, I'm really curious about your sense on the ground being there, the conversations you had of 
you know, are we moving in the right direction? Are people kind of having the right kinds of conversations here and making the connections that uh, that are going to drive things forward? It was clearly a cup for Africa. And uh, when I was preparing it with the Egyptian Minister of Environment, we concluded that we had to bring specific solutions for Africa. And this is what we did. We made a call for solutions. We selected the best ones. We showed them at the COP. The minister was there. And uh, in that sense, it was successful. Uh, but in terms of making big commitments to fight climate change, it was a major failure. Major failure. And uh, the, the big discussion was not around that. Uh, the big question was about how to identify uh, the, the damage made by the industrial countries to the poorest countries, to the most vulnerable countries. And uh, fortunately, this came to an agreement. It's not so clear what they agreed, but they agreed at least to, to, to do something in that sense. The, the fund is not having the money yet. There are no rules exactly of how it's going to, to be used. But one thing that was very important is that the fund is really uh, focused now on the most vulnerable countries. Because in the beginning of the discussions, believe it or not, the Chinese wanted to be indemnified also because okay. the Chinese consider themselves as a country in development and not a developed country, although they are the second economical power in the world. So there is a moment where the European Commission said, now stop, uh, we have to speak seriously. <clears throat> Either we continue on that track and we stop everything and it's a failure, or we really focus on vul vulnerable countries. And uh, this is what finally happened and came to an agreement. So I think, I think it's good. But look, some paradoxical things. I, it was not at the COP, it was at the WEF in Davos. There was a fantastic dialogue between the Prime Minister of Bangladesh and Al Gore. And uh, the Prime Minister of Bangladesh said, all the problems we have is because of the fossil energies from the industrial countries. And Al Gore said, but if it's the case, why do you put a coal power plant in the mangroves? And the Prime Minister of Bangladesh said, oh, so now you want to prevent us from developing ourselves. So you see the paradox. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot of countries blame the industrial world, but they want to do the same. So today, it's clear that we have to help the most vulnerable countries, identify them, but in a way that will also help them to be cleaner and to develop themselves. Just for the newcomers on the earth, for the, new, for the next 20 years, just the people who will be born, plus the people who leave the, 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 the outside to come and live in the cities, we need to build in the developing world one, or let's say, the size of Manhattan every four months. The size of Manhattan every four months. This is what we have to build. So it's clear that if you built it with the old ways of doing with CO2 uh, uh, concrete, uh, with uh, all type of energies, it's going to be a disaster. So now we need to build in a CO2-free way. We need new technologies. 
that exist, huh? just to use them. We need new sources of energy. We need to have buildings that are well insulated. You need heating and cooling systems that are, that are efficient and not wasting the energy like hell. And if we don't do it, we're dead. <laughs> we, 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 just, we, we will go to three, four, five degrees of increase of temperature, which is far too much to have a good mm-hmm. quality of life. People will just not be able to cope with that. So we see that we are all on the same earth, in the same world, and we really need to help each other in a clever way. But when I say a clever way, it's not a way where we come down and say, oh, poor little people, we're going to help you. What can we do? No, it's, a, it's an adult or it should be an adult relation where investments are put at the right place for the right goal, helping development in a clean way with new technologies not reproducing the mistakes that we have done in the past, but going into the future together. This, I believe, should be the goal. And I'm sure it's possible because the solutions exist and they are economically profitable. Great message. One final question. We're almost out of time. Very simple question, I think. Are you optimistic that we are going to get this right? I'm very optimistic when I see the quantity of solutions that exist. I am very pessimistic when I see how long it is and how long it takes to implement them and how difficult it is to change the mindset of the people, which means that at the end, I don't care about optimism or pessimism. What I want is realism. We need people who are realistic. That means people who want to reach a result independently of their own ideology, because now people are prisoner of their ideology. You are on the left or on the right in politics. You are an NGO, or you are, um, or, or you are an ecologist, or you are a finance person, or you are an industrial leader. Well, we need to put a little bit of this everywhere. We need to put ecology inside the economy. We need to take economy into consideration when we are ecological. We need the financial rules, but we also need solidarity. Uh, so finally, we need a little bit of everything. And this can make a very realistic uh, result and a big success. I cannot argue with you on that, Bertrand. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. It has been a real pleasure speaking with you. With pleasure. With pleasure. I hope it will be useful for the future. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Absolutely. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. We will be back next week. If you want to know more about NABA and what we do, please visit our website at norwegianafrican.no. Wherever you are, have a good weekend.